Guys, when's the last time you were stuck in the middle of a situation? When's the last time you were right in the middle of two people duking it out? And I don't mean maybe, maybe they weren't actually throwing blows, exchanging fists, but you know what it's like to be in the middle of two people who, who, who aren't getting along. You see it in families all the time. You see brothers and sisters and the third you know, brother or sister helps the other two come back together or, or plays the peacemaker. Seen that before? You've seen two feuding neighbors. You know, your dog did his business on my lawn. And your other neighbor or friend or maybe somebody in your family helps to bridge this relationship. Yes? At work. People get offended over all kinds of things, sometimes worthy things. And oftentimes you need a mediator to help bring the two together. Parents, I hate to say it. Kids feel the strain so often of trying to help their parents get together, stay on the same page work together, love each other, move in the same direction. We know what it's like to be in the middle or to need a middle man. Maybe you're not the person who's the middle man. Maybe you're somebody who needs one. We went to Six Flags yesterday. I love amusement parks. My son turned eight, and so his cousins and some family came in town and on Friday, we loaded up the car. We got a babysitter for our, our youngest, Beckett, who's still a baby. And, you know, all five kids and four adults headed to Six Flags, baby, because we were going to rock this thing. Had the backpack all set, stroller. I mean, we were, we were ready. We were going to tear this up. Drove that 40-ish minutes, pulled into the parking lot only to have it gated shut. but my phone says that you are open, Six Flags. Are you telling me that you have a mistake, Six Flags, on your time when you're actually open? Because it sure looks that way. And if that's true, we're going to need some mediation. Okay? I need somebody to help me out here because I got some real problems with you six flags and it was closed it didn't open the gate stayed shut Pit picked up the baby came on back home oh yeah went back out the next day thankfully it was open oh but i had a chip on my shoulder the whole time you know just you know just just you 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 have work to do six flags to please me we had a great time. It was amazing. My youngest did his first corkscrew, first loop-de-loop. It was a big moment, guys. Big time. We all know what it's like, joking aside. I wasn't really offended. I was kind of offended at Six Flags, but I didn't need mediation about it. But we all know what it's like to need somebody to help us out. 
Here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to pray, and then we're going to open our, our Bibles. We're going to open the Scriptures, and, and, and we're going to take a look at one of the greatest mediators in all of Scripture. And that might sound dull, and I, and I realize that. You know, this doesn't have the glitz and glamour that I'm introducing you to a message, but, but just if, you, if you'll hang on, if you'll buckle up for a moment, I think this is going to point us to something very special about Jesus Christ today. You guys ready for that? Turn to the book of Exodus this morning. Not one that you probably are, are, are that familiar with reading regularly. If you've got a Bible, turn there. You can follow on the screens behind me. And as we do, let's pray and let's ask God to, to be with us this morning and help us. Father, I thank you, even this morning. God, that you are good and great. Lord, that you're worthy of our worship and our praise. God, as people who are here this morning, God, some just getting by, hanging on. Lord, I'm asking that you'd help us. God, those that are here trying to grow, Lord, I'm asking that you'd help us. Lord, as we're we're straining to be better parents, God, help us. Better students, Lord, help us. God, better husbands and wives and friends and sons and daughters. Lord, I'm asking this morning that you would be with us. Be Emmanuel to us. Let your word speak to us today. Amen. We don't like to read the Old Testament. I hate to say that. But of those who read the Bible, 5% of that time is spent reading from the Old Testament because we don't know oftentimes what to do with it. It's like this old dusty book, you know, that just, well, it doesn't really, doesn't really tell me about Jesus' life, so we rarely read it. It's actually the wrong answer. Because the Old Testament actually points us to the beauty of Jesus. We often miss it. We oftentimes don't know how to apply it. And so the series we're in yesterday and today is all about taking that which feels old and bringing it into today. That you might actually hear these legendary stories that aren't just fable, that aren't just myth, and that you would actually do something with the Bible in your life. We're talking about mediation today. We're talking about Moses the man who knows what it's like to be the guy stuck in the middle. Take a look at my man's life here. He literally gives his life to this. Exodus 5.1, this is after God has appeared to Moses in a burning bush and he's called Moses to do what? Set his people free. So what does Moses have to do? Go and speak to Pharaoh. Exodus 5.1 says that afterwards Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. So we see Moses already beginning to act as this mediator, this person in between, the one who's speaking on behalf of God and for God and bringing back the message to God. 
This is what he's doing on behalf of Israel and God in the midst of Pharaoh. Exodus 19.7 says that Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. And so we see Moses, not just this mediator, not the one that's in the middle of, of, of God and Pharaoh, but now he's the, he's the mouthpiece for God and his people. Here he is standing in this gap. If you ever grew up in like the old Pentecostal type church, you've probably heard the phrase, standing in the gap, praying in the gap. I'd never heard any of that before because I didn't grow up that way. Weirdos. Strong. That was Moses. I'm taking shots this morning. I'm, I'm throwing blows. Exodus chapter 20. 18 through 19. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. So we see this extraordinary place that Moses finds himself, is asked to be in by God, by the people. Here here he is. He's the man in the middle between God and Pharaoh. He's the man in, in, in the middle between Pharaoh and Israel. He's the man in the middle between the elders of Israel and God. He's the man in the middle between God speaking to Israel. He's the man in the middle between Israel speaking to God. Whew. My man's got a job. And when we look at the life of Moses, I mean, just take a deep breath for a second. Because this guy, this man, probably more than any other person in Scripture, is unbelievable. Moses is an unbelievable, extraordinary leader. His love for God and his love for people, it's what makes him such a great mediator. And, and we don't even realize it, we don't capture it. The only way somebody would stand and risk what they're risking day in and day out is because of their tremendous love for God and their tremendous love for people. Just to give you an idea, Moses would, would or, or the, the priest for that matter, because talking with God was so risky, the priest would have bells put on his, his, his tunic, his priestly garments, so that he went, when he went behind the curtain to minister before the Lord, as they're dealing with sacrifices and taking care of priestly duties, they would have bells on and they would tie a rope on their ankle that they would leave out in the front. So that somehow if God's holiness broke out and killed them, the average Joe, like you and I, could take the end of that rope and draw their body out from behind the Holy of Holies. And they would wear these bells so that those on the outside would know that they were still alive. Now, if you're sitting here and you're thinking, God, what a, God's such a rough taskmaster. I hear what you're saying, 
But what God was trying to help people understand is that he is holy. We do not mess with God's holiness. And Moses did it time and time again. He stood before God. He was God's friend. He had conversations with the holy of holies. And then he went and ministered to the people. Moses is an incredible leader. And in his most famous act, what did Moses do? He walked up Mount Sinai and he grabbed the... I didn't say grab. God gave him the Ten Commandments. And he brought them down to the Israelite community. And he taught these people how to live a life that is to be holy. He taught them how to work, so to speak. He taught them how to do The only problem is that in all of the doing and in all of the the law bringing and all of the Ten Commandments, and you very well know this, the Israelite community, as much as they tried to do and as much as they tried to obey and as much as they tried to get approval, guess what they could never actually do? They could never fully obey, could they? They could never truly and fully obey all 613 commandments, not just the 10. And Moses knew it. And this incredible leader, even in the book of Exodus, begins to point us to Jesus. And this is what he says. He says in Deuteronomy 18, He says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, and you must listen to him. And then God says that I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, verse 18, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who doesn't listen to my words that the prophet speaks. In my name, this is Jesus that they're talking about. We're going to start applying this, so just hang tight. John 5, 45, Jesus is speaking. He says, but do not think I will accuse you before the Father. He says, your accuser is Moses, on whom your hopes are set. If you believed Moses, you would have believed me, because Moses wrote about me. So here we are reading from Exodus, reading from Deuteronomy. You can read from Leviticus and Numbers. And guess where these books point? To Jesus. And as much as people tried to obey and as much as people tried to do and as much as people tried to perform and work and get all of these things right, sometimes a little half-heartedly, might I add, Guess what could never be done? They could never get their lives right and holy before a holy God. And so you see time and time and time again, people trying to have a relationship with God only to get stuck 
right back in the same pattern, in the same cycle. It's not living for God. What you do and how much you do it will never actually change who you are. That sounds like bad news, isn't it? It's because it is. I have bad news for you today. What you do and how much you do it will never have the capacity to actually change who you are. And Moses knew it even then. And we love, we love these old stories of the Ten Commandments. And we love, we love these, these great, powerful Mount Sinai moments. And I want you to hear this. You cannot change who you are. And because Moses knew it, and the prophets knew it, and God knew it, he had another plan set in motion. And that plan was his son, Jesus. And Jesus, and Jesus alone, has the capacity not just to change you on the outside, but to change you on the inside, from the inside out. This is simple gospel material here. Yet we forget it over and over and over again. I love where we live. I love the country that I live in. I love having grown up in St. Louis, having moved to Nashville, having lived in Orlando, now living here in Kennesaw, the Atlanta area. I love where we live, the life that we live. And it's interesting that in every city that I've lived in, there is a, a common problem that humanity has. And that problem is this. We love to work. Now, I don't mean you love your job because... I hope you love your job. Some of you don't. You're like, well, I hate my job. But I want you to hear this because we live in a culture that prides itself on work. You need to get a promotion. Well, what do you do? Work harder and get noticed and get that promotion. You need to make more money? Great. Work super hard. Work hard on that resume. Work harder, get noticed, get a raise. You need to lose 10 pounds? Great. Go to the gym and do what? Work out. You need to win that girl's heart, that guy's affection. What do you need to do? You need to work harder to get noticed. Work to gain that affection. Better grades, study harder, work more. We watch shows and we don't even notice how many hours people are putting in at their little respective offices. And you think, well, it's no surprise that families are falling apart given the amount of work that people are doing. But that's another sermon. But hear me. Hear me graciously. Hear me lovingly. It is not a surprise that we have a difficult time transitioning from the law of Moses, which has no power to change us, to the grace of Jesus 
the spirit of the living God that offers freedom to change you from the inside out. And the reason we have a difficult time letting go over here and laying hold of over here is because you have to let go of a culture and an attitude of working for it. Because you cannot work. to find yourself changed and made holy before a holy God. You can't do it. You just can not do it. debating on how I want to say this because I'm okay offending people, (laughs) but I don't want to unnecessarily offend people. (laughs) But you know what? It's okay to be challenged by what God's doing. The Bible Belt, love it. Nashville, love it. Atlanta, love it. It's great. But even as I start talking about this idea of what Jesus has done, that Jesus is the true and better Moses, that Jesus stepped in. Look at the similarities between Jesus and Moses. Both of them were called out of Egypt. Both of them were nearly killed or or had a planned attack upon their very lives by a Gentile king. Both of them were rejected by the very people that they were a part of. Both of them stood in the gap between God and their people. However, Moses, where he stood and what he offered, the only thing that it could ultimately do was point you to your tremendous need for someone who could do what you could never do. That's the beauty of the law. It makes you conscious of your sin and that you are forever jacked up apart from a Savior named Jesus Christ. And Jesus stood in the gap. Jesus did what you could not do. Jesus stood between you and God, and he, here's what he did. He didn't just point to the sacrifice. He didn't just instruct you what to do. He became the sacrifice for you. He did what you couldn't do. He lived the life that you couldn't live. And he died the death that you deserved. That you might actually be changed by faith from the inside out. Now that should cause us Right to jump out of our chairs in jubilation. That should, that, I mean, that should just freak us out this morning. But the truth is, you and I have heard it so many times that the gospel itself loses its power. We forget it. We lose the significance of it. That's why Paul says over and over again, it doesn't harm me at all. It doesn't put me out to remind you of the grace of Jesus at work in your life. It doesn't bother me to remind you again and again and again because you and I easily forget about this unbelievable shift that took place from the law to grace. 
what Jesus did, as great as a mediator as Moses was, Jesus is better. Jesus did what Moses couldn't do, and he became the perfect sacrifice for you and I so that you aren't weighed down by trying to work your way into being holy before a holy God. Now let's drill down on this for a second because these are really lofty conversations. When you read the book of Romans, if you've read it recently, sometimes reading that thing is like reading a legal document. You know, it's, it can be tough reading that. And I realize these are kind of complicated things to talk about. Yet, sometimes you've got to talk about them. This is Scripture. This is the Bible. Now, hear this. Because this is how this gets fleshed out. And this is where we trip. Because all of us would say, yeah, I love that. Sounds great. God's good. He's great. Living by grace. Saved by grace. Faith in Jesus. Yeah. And you would say it just like that. My son, and we were praying, we do bedtime prayers every night. And he's heard me praying, hears me praying around the house. Now, you don't always realize that your children are paying attention to you. And apparently there are just ways that I pray, right? There there are things that you do. You have your own just mannerisms, right? Right? And one of the things that I do when I'm praying a lot, you know, if I'm trying to just hear from the Holy Spirit, or maybe I'm listening to Amy pray, we're praying together. I will say something if I like what she's praying. Sometimes I'll say, that's good. Honey, that's great. Keep praying that. You look great, by the way, you know. Okay, I don't do that. So while I'm praying at bedtime prayer, we're literally just praying about the day, probably praying for brother and sister. All of a sudden, Graham just says, mm, that's good, Dad. <laughs> and I stopped praying. And I looked at him. And he said, what? I was so caught off guard. And he said, what, Dad? I said, I just haven't heard you pray like that before. He said, he asked me this question. He said, Daddy, does it make you happy when I pray like that? And I had to think about this question before I answered it. I want you to hear this, church. Because I love it when my son prays. Love it. But what he was really asking me in this moment is if I do it like this, will that make you happy? And the answer to that question is no. It doesn't make me happy. And I told him that. And I looked him right in the eyes in his bed and I said, son, I want you to know what makes me happy. Being your daddy. That 
is the joy of my heart. And there is nothing that you can do or not do that will ever change how I feel about you. You can pray however you want to pray. And that makes me happy. Okay. I walked away and I left that room. I thought, how many times do I still do this? My own son just taught me the Holy Spirit in the bedroom of my house. And I'm sitting here and, oh, I get grace by faith. I get that I don't have to work out, you know, the, the, my salvation, so to speak. I can't save myself. Yet, there are so many things, church, that we still try to do to curry God's love and affection and adoration and blessing and favor upon us. And we insert ourselves literally in the middle of, I have to do this or I can rest in this. What can I do? And we, we find ourselves in this tug of war of, of still trying to do rather than simply trusting in the goodness and greatness and glory of the Father that calls us son and the Father that calls us daughter. There is nothing that you can do to work your way into being a Christian. But hear me because that sounds really churchy. There's nothing you can do to get God to love you more than he already loves you. You can't somehow come to church and stroke your tithe check and walk away and think that because you gave today that somehow your relationship with God is better. It's not better. It's actually not any different. Do I want you to give? Of course. But that does not change your position before a God that loves you and sent his son to die for you. All of his wrath and all of that anger at unrighteous behavior was poured out on his son Jesus who took it for you. And now he sees one thing when he looks at you, the righteousness of God. That's what he sees. He sees the beauty of his son. He sees the purity of his son. He sees the holiness of his son on you. And so we still wrestle with, well, I haven't read my Bible enough. And sometimes we, we carry the, the guilt of it and we carry the, the shame of, well, I, you know, I have had an impure relationship or I jacked this up or I, I'm struggling with doubt and I'm, I, I feel the weight of all of these things, God, that I need to do. And I want you to hear me this morning. There's nothing you need to do to experience the grace of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus, a city maybe not like unlike our own, 
a city where people knew how to pray and people knew what it was like to get up and go to church and people knew what it was like to be to know the Old Testament and be able to quote it and they knew what to say and they knew all the things to do to be somebody who was, who was affirmed by God and yet they were weighed down. Burdened. Weary. Jesus says to them, come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. church here in Atlanta it's so easy to know this over here but still be stuck over here still trying to do still trying to perform for God still trying to impress God still trying to get his attention still trying to get him to love you more still trying to curry his favor and you feel the guilt of what you did do or what you didn't do, and you feel the shame of what you did do or didn't do, and I want you to hear me, that feels like a thousand pounds. And that's not what Jesus has called you to. That's why so much of the word that we use when we talk about Jesus is that of freedom. You see, Moses, with his great staff, walked into Egypt and he gathered God's people and he marched out. And for the first time in hundreds upon hundreds of years, these people felt freedom from oppression and freedom from literal slavery and literal bondage. They experienced freedom, but that freedom was not a soul of freedom, it wasn't an eternal freedom. It was a freedom that allowed them to cry out. A freedom that allowed them to long for more. And when Moses gave them the Ten Commandments and, and all the other commandments and ordinances and they couldn't do it, it was designed to help create a longing for a Savior, a Messiah who could do what no one else could previously do. See, Jesus is the true and better Moses. who gathered God's people and leads them to freedom, not because of what they can do, but because of what he did. He offers freedom, true freedom from guilt and shame and the weight all the things that you think you need to do to somehow get right before God. I'll leave you with this, this picture. 
Save it for next week. you to hear this, guys, as we pray. Some of you are sitting here and you're still stuck. Some of you don't see it. You still don't see it. But you're still trying to do. You're still trying to carry this yourself. You can't do it. Some of you are at the end of that rope and you finally are saying to yourself, thank God. Because I've tried just about everything I know to try. Jesus, I need you. This morning is your morning. day after and the day after because Jesus by his grace has freedom for you.